I need to say that um, I am uh, I'm a little overwhelmed at this moment. I've looked forward for a year and a week, as I say, to come back to this church. We fell in love with this place, with your staff, with this congregation. A year ago, I've so longed to be here again and looked for it. And when I learned that Pastor Lee uh, was yielding the pulpit to me today, I'd, I cannot even tell you what that means to me, because I am certainly not worthy of this. I'm called of God to just proclaim the message, but I still have, I told him when I met him again this morning that uh, in my office, I have mess, a part of his message of a year ago that impacted me so deeply and so strongly uh, that I actually copied it and taped it to my uh, my printer in the office right next to the computer. And almost every day of the week when we're home, I'm reminding myself of that. So this means a great deal to me, and I know the Lord has blessed you and been with you this has been a tough year for a few of us, and especially for you. And we're, I'm just so thrilled, thrilled this morning uh, to be with all of you and share from the Word of God. This morning we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 this morning as we look for a few moments uh, to the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. We got off of the plane Friday afternoon when we landed here in Nassau, and the very first piece of paper I picked up was a newspaper, and the headline screamed in thick block letters, 15-year-old girl killed by her father. And I thought how symptomatic that is to the extreme of uh, what we see happening in the West culturally. The thinking, the out-of-control anger, the emotions that take over uh, so many. And uh, it's not just on that level, it's on the smallest level, even children in school dealing with anger issues, dealing with stealing, integrity, lying. And um, we read here most of the answer. Be on the alert. This is written to the Christian home. The Christian moms and dads, grandparents, children themselves even, to be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. I can guarantee you that what we're reading in the newspapers today did not reflect any of that. And so we have a clarion call today that God is giving to his church, to his families, to his parents, how to lead and how to solve the problem and be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll dig in. Oh God, this morning I ask that you help this speaker, help me. We've already just worshipped you in so many wonderful ways. We've celebrated what you've done on the cross and the shedding of the blood through communion. We've done the business of the church in this room as... People have come and joined, and those that you've called to be added to the church, and we did that today. We've sung, 
We've heard singing. We've heard the instruments play. We've just been overwhelmed. We could go home right now and say we have been blessed amazingly. But God, I pray now that you'll bless your word. Help this speaker. Forgive him of his sins, for they are many. Make the word clear in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over in Acts chapter 20, if you would cross-reference that, you don't have to turn there, but Acts chapter 20 and verse 40, Peter has been preaching on basically the same subject. And uh, he answers some of the questions that the people have had. And he says there in verse 40, with many words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. We've already mentioned what we've seen in the papers this week, and I know you're all talking about it. We've heard of it everywhere. And the verdict is in, in the Western Hemisphere. The family is in trouble. The culture is in trouble. The West is in trouble. The prognosis has been made. We've seen it everywhere. Everything that we used to accept as normal seems to be passing by the wayside. Everything that used to shock us seems to be so blasé anymore. We're so used to the sin that is overtaking the world in astonishing proportion. Let me say that today I'm speaking to families in particular. And let me define for you what a family is from the Word of God. When we hear about the family in the Scriptures, we're talking about a man and a woman with their children. That's the main biblical model of a family. We can have, obviously, single people, a single mom, a single dad with a child, with children. Uh, it's not the biblical uh, aim or goal, but we have biblical models that we can move within that realm. Obviously, single people um, who have not been married and don't have their own children relate to the extended family around them. We have a lot of biblical models of family, but this is not what we hear when we pick up the paper. When we see the news magazines, when we turn on the television, we hear that a blended family is just anybody that wants to live together. We have this tremendous move in the United States, which is of the devil himself, that we are now uh, adopting. And we are now bringing in children to uh, homosexuals that live together and gay people, this type of thing. And it's being treated as as normal as is pie. Um, I uh, was in... uh, business office just a few weeks ago and picked up, we call it People Magazine. I don't know if you have that down here. It's just the, you know, the, the celebrity set and those who are so admired. And there was picture after picture on page after page of gay couples adopting and so forth, and they called them a family. This is not what we're talking about when we look to the Word of God. Let's just be clear in that. And... Uh, Clarify from a biblical perspective what that family is. The husband, the wife, with their children. A single mom or dad with a child. An an unmarried young person who's relating to an extended family. This family unit that God ordained from the very beginning of time. Now this is a home that is going to be one that honors and glorifies God. That has a different pattern of living. Do you understand? A different mindset than we see in the world. They're going to relate differently to what they see on the television, to what they pick up in the magazines, to what they hear surrounding them. 
all day long. Because when we talk in the world of these deep things of God, more often than not, we're going to hear ridicule. We're going to face laughter. We're going to be considered people that are off on the deep end somehow, laughed at, scorned at, especially in the media and the press that we have in the United States. Peter said on this day of Pentecost, if we are going to persevere and prevail and raise our children properly and see the glorious light of the gospel affecting us, that there are certain things we're going to have to do to be saved from the perverse generation in which we're living. Amen. And that's you and me. This is what we do. So now we're back to 1 Corinthians 16, where Paul is giving us some of the keys in the text to what we ought to be doing. These five important injunctions, which I think is are important today as they were the day that Paul himself uttered those words. Number one, your text says in, in uh, verse 13, to be on the alert. I like it in the Amplified Version. It says, be on the alert and on your guard. That's what it means to be alert. To be on your guard. To be ready for the attacks of the world. To be equipped with an answer. To be able to teach our children, well, like we heard in the, even in this earth, the teaching moment of communion itself. What a beautiful thing. And this should be not just on Sunday morning at a communion service. This should be daily, wherever we are, whatever we are doing. Living Bible puts it this way. The paraphrase says, just keep your eyes open for spiritual danger. Are you doing that? Keep your eyes open for spiritual danger. Now, some of us, I think, maybe have our spiritual lives on the snooze alarm. You know, how many of you have an alarm clock at home and it has that little snooze button? And you wake up in the morning and you're still dead tired and you think five more minutes and you just reach over and you hit that button and you get five more minutes. I I do it 20 times. It's just amazing. No, I don't. I don't. I I purposely do not have a snooze alarm for that reason. Uh, But often in our spiritual lives, we can be like that. We'll deal with it later. Let's just put it on hold Let's just think about these things and we'll take action at some future time and we go back to sleep. But you know what it means to be alert, to be awakened and to stay awake, to be on your toes, to be alert to spiritual dangers, to give strict attention to the dictionary says to be cautious, to be alert to corruption by errors, to take heed lest through some remission or forgetfulness or indulgent, destructive calamity comes upon you. Be on the alert. I used to think that uh, all families were kind of like the one I grew up in, where my dad and my mom ruled the roost. They loved us. We knew they loved us, but we lived a certain way. I didn't think it was possible to be in a home where a 12-year-old was telling mom and dad how it was going to be in the home. I didn't think it was uh, even on the grid of a possibility to to think that a 16-year-old would be running the running the home and running the rules of the home and living the way the 16-year-old wanted to do with the mom and dad just being quiet about it and letting it happen. Then we went on the road in the United States for a period of about five years. We had a seminar 
on the influence of music and media. And we were staying in the homes and we saw the posters in the homes and we saw this uh, perversion, all kinds of things. We saw 12 year olds bossing their parents around the things I thought could not be possible. And I thought, here is a home where they were not on the alert for spiritual danger. And look what has happened. It's not it's not in your home, is it? It's not happening in your home. We trust. When I hear of the struggles and we hear of what is occurring in the families, it's because parents have been sleeping. They've had their spiritual lives on snooze alarm. And we're not on the alert in junction number one that Paul gives to us. Be on the alert. Be alert to the subtle temptations and destructive influence that the enemy has waiting for us at every turn. From the time we wake up in the morning until the time we go to bed at night. There is an enemy who hates you and your children as much as God loves you. Think of that. That's a Selah moment. Think of that. All right. Number one, be on the alert. Do you remember the story of Samson and why he fell and the, the terrible ending to his story? was simply because he went to sleep. He wasn't alert to spiritual danger. He yielded to the subtle temptation of the woman that intrigued him so much. And he lost everything because he was not on the alert. This will happen to us. This is why 1 Peter chapter 5 says, Be self-controlled and alert because your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. A few weeks ago, Deb and I were in a place where we were able to go on a little, uh, in, this, in the States, a little ride, a safari. And we saw the lions. And uh, they were sleeping. And the curator was telling us that the lions normally sleep. They sleep, what, 18 hours a day, is it? They're not up much. But when they're up and they're looking for something to eat and they don't see what they need, they start roaring just to scare, scare anything in the movement. And when they see the movement, they get supper. I thought, this is it. When, when Peter is telling us this, and he's likening the enemy of our homes and of our families and of our very souls to a lion, the lion is roaring to seek whom he may devour. I want to go on record today to say, I don't want that to be someone in my family. I don't want that to be someone in my church. I don't want that to be someone here. When you hear the devil roaring, that means he's, he's on the lookout. He's on the prowl. He's throwing something at you. Just rest in the Lord and trust in the Word. And shut off the roaring of that old lion. Because he doesn't know what he's doing anyway. Except to destroy you. Number two in our text this morning is be true. It means to stand firm in the faith. That is in the conviction, respecting your relationship to God, to godly things, to your life, to your home, to divine things, to the attributes of God, to becoming more like Jesus. I like it in the Amplified again. It says, be true to your convictions concerning your relationship with God. Your salvation, for example. Are you absolutely certain of your salvation? 
of your forgiveness of sins? Do you testify of it to your children, to your grandchildren? Do people around you at work in the marketplace of ideas and wherever you may live your life, do they know that you are saved? Because that's what it means to be true. It's going to show up. People will see the difference. If you're being true to the gospel to which we are called, if we are responding properly to the salvation which has been given to us by Christ himself, have you followed him in the waters of baptism? Have you made public display of your obedience and your desire to follow Christ? Have you testified to your children, to your mom, to your dad, to your grandparents? Of your faith in the Lord Jesus and what he has done for you. That's what it says here. Stand firm. Be true. Your relationship to divine things. Flip over for just one verse, if you would, to uh, Colossians chapter 1. I wrote down here and looked this up just yesterday and I thought, let's read this. Colossians chapter 1 and uh, verse 23 If you indeed, listen to this, continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, as he's writing this, was made a minister. And by extension, those of you who have been called, those of you who are ministers of the gospel, which is all of us in the faith who are to testify to his goodness, Continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast. Don't move away from the hope of this gospel. This should be the hallmark, the benchmark, the the mark of your life that people will know us for. The Greek word here is is, is, is a word, it's steko. And I'm not a Greek scholar. I ask other men. I would come to Pastor Lee and say, what does this mean? And he could teach me. So I have some pastors at home that I go to. When I want to know what does this actually mean in the original text, and here's how it would read in the original text. It means you must persist. You must persevere in godliness. You must keep your standing. You must maintain your allegiance to your fellowship with the Lord. Wow, that's a big definition out of one little word, isn't it? Stecco. That is the word used here when we are told to be true. To do all of those things, beloved That's why I have two major goals in our ministry. Number one, we want to see people saved and come to Christ. And that's what we do. We just do evangelism. That's why I fell in love with Eddie and and Eunice Pinder the first time I met them. That's all they do. They just minister to people. They work in the schools and they welcomed us with open arms. And this will be our fourth year that we're going to have beginning Tuesday morning. We'll do ten schools this week and then eight on CAT. Uh, it's just wonderful to to be able to stand firm and proclaim the gospel in from God's most holy and totally clear word. That's what we do. And that's how we fell in love with these people and the ministry that they have. That's the first goal of our ministry. But the second goal that we have is not just to let people get saved, lead them to Christ, and then send them back to live the way they did before. We have a lot of churches in the U.S. that have moved into that mode. Well, we don't want to get involved with this. We don't want to challenge them in that. 
And so they go back and they live just like they did before. And we can't see the difference in their lives. Their neighbors can't see the difference in their lives. Here's what should be happening. Let me give an example of our ministry in Europe. One year ago, we were in uh, working with Word of Life. And many of you are familiar with that tremendous youth evangelism ministry. There was great floods coming through the north of the country of Hungary. And we were in Budapest at the time. And and uh, some of the children just actually watched their houses wash away. Their dogs, their pets, everything they had was gone. And we were with Word of Life and we had a, a staff meeting saying, what should we do? What can we do to help these families, to help these children? And one of the things we did, we immediately started to raise a scholarship fund. Deb and I and our little group, we were the first people to contribute to get some of these kids that could come to camp. We gave them free weeks at camp while their parents could figure out what in the world they were going to do, where they would live, how they would relocate and so forth. So the kids are coming to camp and some of them are getting saved. We were back in Hungary for eight weeks this spring. And I'm sitting in Alconia, the director of World of Life uh, Central Europe. I'm sitting in his office and I said, what results have we seen now? Have we been able to get in touch with any of these kids that were saved last summer? He says, oh, let me tell you what just happened a week ago. This was back in May. One of the young men that we brought to camp last summer, he was 17 years old and got saved. They had a little follow-up meeting back in April of this year, and this kid showed up with his girlfriend. And waiting at the door were some former friends of this guy who was mad at the Word of Life staff, very angry. And uh, Al said, why, why are you angry with us? They said, what did you do to this boy from Mishkos? I can't remember his name. Do you remember? I just can't remember his name. Uh, Bolash, what what did you do to Bolash? And they said, well, what do you mean? Well, we didn't know this, but in his town of Mishkos, he was the number one drug seller. And he got saved at camp and he came home and he instinctively knew that his life had to change. That there was going to be differences. So the first thing he did, he was out of that and wouldn't sell to his friends. They were mad about it. Then this girl that he brought, he had led her to Christ. And their goal is to become a family, to get married, to go to Bible college, and to become church planters there in Hungary. Can you believe this? Wow. Al is telling me this, and I'm almost overwhelmed because I'm thinking this is what we want to see in the lives of people. This is what Jesus wants to bring into our homes. A total change of viewpoint. A total change of goals. A total change of what we're doing with our lives. A total change of meaning. And there was one young boy. I cannot wait. You know what we did? We're so excited about this. We started a scholarship fund. We would like to see this young man to be the first guy saved in such a setting who will be fuller scholarship into the Word of Life uh, Bible Institute and Ministerial School. And we want to pay the freight. We want to see this kid in a pulpit in Hungary. Wouldn't that be incredible? Because this is what it means to be firm, to be true, to be on the alert, to be rescuing people through the power of Christ from even the big drug runners in the towns of Mishkols and wherever else we find them and see such a change. Isn't that amazing? We just praise God for that. We trust we see this. The third thing in the text, and I need to hurry here. 
don't want to keep you long today, but be brave. The text says, act like men. I'm going to say be brave. You know why? Whenever I talk to women at home and I say, act like men, we have trouble. (laughs) What do you mean I'm supposed to act like a man? Now listen. Someone sat me down many years ago and I took some notes. And here's what it means to act like men. I referred back to those notes and thought about this. In the scriptures, what is the opposite of a man? We immediately say, oh, oh, it would be a woman. No. In biblical terms of teaching, the opposite of a man is a little boy. Okay? Both of the male gender, but one's a little boy, immature. He hasn't thought, he doesn't get much. But the other is a mature man who has come to an understanding of things in life and lives a different way than the little boy. So the opposite of a woman is not a man. The opposite of a woman would be a little girl. Same situation. When young people come to us, children at our summer camp where I teach, and we read scriptures that talk about this, they always say, well, I'm not a boy, I don't have to do that. So wait a minute, what do the scriptures teach us in Genesis? We read that God created... Mankind, he created man. And what did he call man? Male and female. He created them. So this whole sexist gender stuff that has come into our thinking in the world and even in the church. Women, don't be offended when the scripture says act like men. You know what it's saying? Just be brave. Be mature. Be brave if you're a woman raising your children alone. Be mature. Men, stand firm. Be brave. If you're leading the home, act like men. It's the Greek word, andresio, which means behave like an adult. How do you like that? Behave like an adult. So that's not sexist. Women, I'm not telling you to act like men in that secular sense. I'm telling you, be brave. Be mature, to be growing, to see the maturity that you can give to your children, that you can give to those around you as you rightly divide the word of truth and you understand what God has in your life and for your future, okay? Be mature. Don't be the opposite of a mature person, a little boy, a little girl. Be a mature woman, a mature man. And that's what it means, knowing from the Scripture how to support your belief system, how to take a stand. Uh, with an action system, I call it, from the Word of God. Now listen, let me quickly give you this as we get to the end here this morning. Here's what's going to happen. If you are brave, if you're acting like a man, or you're acting like mature, if you've grown in the Word and you're studying and you're listening to, I wish I could hear Pastor Lee preach every week. I just cannot get over how I, I just fell in love with this man in one message. So if you're if he's preaching like that every week, you know, maybe he was just on that day. I don't know. And I, I don't know. But I know it impressed me. And I'm thinking if you, beloved, in this church, if you're listening to that week after week, there ought to be some maturity coming. There ought to be some understanding coming that you didn't have a year ago. You understand more of the things of God. You're giving yourself more to his service and commitment now than you were a year back. Because this is a process happening in your life. As you listen to the message week by week like that, here's what's going to happen. 
if you're doing that. Number one, you will be an adult of confidence. You will know the scripture. You will know how to support your belief system, as I mentioned. Number two, you will be a person of accuracy, accuracy, rightly dividing the word of truth. We hear so many crazy things coming down the pike, strange theologies, wild ideas. I've heard about four of them since I've been on this island. And yesterday afternoon in, in talking with a young man who has a life goal of eventually getting into ministry, um, sharing, well, I heard this and I heard that. I said, who told you that? Well, I read on a blog or, you know, I got it on Facebook and I said, no, 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 no. Get it here and here only. This is it. And shut your ears. That's the old devil just roaring. See, he's trying to scare something up here. Don't let it be you. You will be a person of accuracy. Number three, you will become a person of wisdom. Meditating on God's word. And then you will become a person of understanding to the world around you and what is occurring. And you will be able to practically apply God's word to the situation in which you will find yourself. You will be a person of discernment. Oh, there's one for you. Seeing things from God's perspective and not with the natural eyes. Discernment. Oh, so lacking, so so important to the church today. This will make you a person, number six, of action. And finally, when all of those come, you will be a person of power. How many want to do that? I, I would like to be known as a person of confidence in the Word of God, a person of accuracy in understanding the Word of God, a person of wisdom as I read the Word of God, a person of understanding in this world as I rightly apply the Word of God, a person of discernment as I learn to see things from God's perspective, a person of action who solves real problems in real lives because of the power of the Word of God. That's going to take courage. But that's what we read in our text. The last thing uh, we read here is uh, be strong. Now, this is a little different than the other words we have had so far. This is a moving word. This is a word which I understand in the Greek language, it never is finished. It's a process that goes on and on and on and on when we read be strong. Um. To grow in strength, Paul is talking about a process here. Prepare for battle, prepare for growth, prepare for struggle, get strong. I remember the first time that I was, I was invited by a friend of mine to go to a Monday night football game in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now, you guys down here, men, you even get this on ESPN, don't you? I was so looking forward to having a day off tomorrow. Because we're staying in a home where they have cable TV. And the first thing I did, do they get ESPN? And they do. And I was hooping. Yes, sir, I'm finally going to see Monday Night Football because we don't have cable TV in my house. And I thought, and guess who is playing tomorrow night? My Eagles. This couldn't have worked out better. And then Eunice and Eddie said, whoops, the schedule's changed. We have to get on the boat tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock and head to who knows where we're going next. But I remember that one time someone invited me and I was able to go see the Eagles play 
in Philadelphia. And my friend was so familiar with them and had gone for so long that he had some privileges that most men did not have. We were actually allowed, the four of us that went with him, to go down to the field to meet the coach, to shake hands with the players before the game began. Now, this was this was hot stuff for me. You know, this was just amazing. We knew the play. I've only ever seen them on TV. I knew them by their numbers. And now we're meeting them. The first thing I noticed was the bulk, the size, the muscles. Most of these men didn't even have necks. That's the first thing I know. They were just, just solid. And you'd shake their hands and you thought you were going to die. Because, you know, and I want to tell you something. I pondered that when I went home because it wouldn't be great to be like that. Man, don't you all to... You know what? That did not happen overnight. They made a decision back when they were in grade school. In primary school, to go out for some maybe midget league football or just playing in the... They made a decision to start doing those things. By the time they got to what we call in the stage junior high school, grade 7, 8, and 9, they had these little junior varsity teams where they got together, actually had a coach at school, and started doing workouts, building those muscles. By the time they were in high schools, they were the big jocks in school because there was something different about them already. By the time they got to college, they were the BMOCs, the big men on campus. And now by the time they got to the NFL, I would just look at them like... That was a 15-year process. And they became strong. This is exactly the word we have here when Paul says in your Christian life, be becoming strong. It never ends. Some of you made a decision when you were a little boy or a little girl and you came to Christ. And you're here today, so Lord willing, you're still walking to him. But you know what? Are you becoming strong week by week? Is that process still going on? Because that's what we hear and read here. To become strengthened, to increase in our strength, to stick fast, to prevail. To prevail about your growth, to prevail about your Christian life, to prevail about your standards. I love when we read... From John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 120, we learned the little boy became strong in spirit. You know, some of you may have not have been saved a long time. This applies to you as well. Some of you may have come to Christ just in the last year or, or, or two. And if you are applying the word of God to your life, guess what? You're one of the strong ones. This is not where you necessarily are today compared to someone else, but the process that you're on, the direction you're moving in. So wives, some of you can look at your husband and say, there is a strong and mighty man of God. Because he's growing week by week, month by month. Some folks may have been saved for 40 years and you've kind of, you know, backed off. And you're, you're kind of on a spiritual vacation. And your direction is this way. Do you know, this is why we see so many fallen evangelists and TV preachers and so forth. They took, they were not on the alert. They were not on their guard. They were not becoming strong. They thought they had maxed out. They thought they made it. And then the enemy started roaring. And guess who he picked for supper? Don't let that happen to you. Be becoming strong. What direction? Are we moving in? Well, we could go more, but we're not going to.
This is what Paul writes to us. Try to remember a point or two as we start facing reality Monday morning when we're back at work, when we're back in school, when we're back to traveling. And let me tell you, let's listen to Paul this week. Let's make this the next five days of worldly endeavor in the workplace, in the marketplace, in the school place. A week where we commit ourselves to be on the alert like we've never been before, to be aware, to be looking out for spiritual danger, to stand firm in the faith, to act like adults, to be mature, to become strong. And then that second verse, when you're doing all this, don't forget, be loving. But all that you do, be done in love. When we do that, these are the principles that Peter was later going to write and say, this will save you and your family and your children from the wicked and perverse generation in which we live. May God bless this, the reading of his word and what men of God, holy men, who were moved by the Holy Spirit, gave us these five points to remember. Let's try to remember the next five days. To do those things, to apply them in our lives, in Jesus' name, and for his sake, and for the cause of Christ in this church. Amen. Let's, let's just bow in prayer. God, I pray that you take my feeble words and my stuttering and wandering around and just make sense of these, these principles that you have told us, that you gave Paul to say, and Peter to say, and even John the Baptist, and... That there will be folks in this church, this week, in this community, who will become more strong, who seven days from now will say, yes, I'm stronger now, I understand more now, because I applied myself to the Word of God this week. I stood firm in the faith. Something happened at work, but God helped me to stand firm in the faith. Lord, we pray that will be the great testimony of many in this congregation. As we go back to what we call the real world, And the blessing of this wonderful service today and the communion and the fellowship that we've seen as, as that becomes yesterday's news. I pray that you would help men and women and boys and girls, grandparents in this room to be strong, to be firm, to stand firm in the faith, to Apply the scriptures deeply to becoming people of understanding, of wisdom, and practically apply the word of God to the real life situations which are about to come upon us just hours away. May it be so. Be with these folks. Be with all of us in a special presence this week, we pray. We beg you. We plead. We know that you are with us always. You cannot forsake us because you promised you would. But we ask for a special anointing this week in a way we just walk and think in everything we do. Strengthen and encourage us in this church, we pray, through the power of the Spirit, as we go to the Word of God for our answers, for our future, for our families. Save us, God, we pray, from this wicked and perverse generation. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.